All right, another edition of the Behind the You podcast, and we are pleased to be joined by Sean Spence. Looks a little different with the hair dreads out and everything, but still has that 31 hanging behind him, buddy. Good to see you. Thanks for doing this. Uh, thanks for having me. Let's get into some of the Miami stuff. You guys were a, were, you guys were a group. It started with a few of you. Then they got the rest of you. Like, how did it come to be that all eight of you went to Miami? I have, it it kind of just... Come on, that smile gives it away. There's got to be a story in there. You can't hide it. I'm going to give you a story. I think it kind of just happened. We were, like, I know the year before, right? We always said we were going to go to the same school since my junior year. We was all, now, when you all, say we, who, who's the we? It was me, Marcus, Ja'Cory, Antoine, Eastland, that pack. Kenley wasn't, he hadn't arrived yet. He was playing good, but he wasn't on the scene like that. Brandon Washington, he wasn't at Miami Northwestern yet. But just the nuclear guys that was there from my, my sophomore and junior year, we always said we wanted to go to the same school. And that school was supposed to be Florida because Twan, Antoine Eastland was going to go to Florida and he was going to kind of trigger it and we were all going to follow him. But he ended up not going there. So when it came to Miami, we just kind of, it was kind of like a domino effect. I can't remember who was the first guy who committed. It might have been Ja'Cory or Marcus. And then we all kind of just, it was just a domino effect. And when we seen that we had the opportunity to do something like what Florida, I mean, what Lakeland did with Florida, when all those guys went there, I think that kind of played a part as well. And we wanted to be known as the recruiting class or be a part of the recruiting class that helped bring Miami back. So Randy was on the previous staff before he took over. So were they recruiting you before he became head coach or once you became head coach, that's really when it kind of took off? Nah, they recruited me. Larry Coker offered me, I think, either my sophomore going into my junior year. Because he was there 2007, right? Yeah, so no, he was there 2006 too. So yeah, in 2006 was when I first got my offer. From him. What was the picture Randy painted for you guys? Like, how did how did he sell it to you about why you guys should all come? I think it was more so just trying to get Miami back, um, and then being with a local guy like like Coach Shannon, who grew up in the communities that we were playing in, who was an alumni who understood what it was to win, and that we were going to play early. Um, you know, that was big for a lot of guys that we were going to play early and and try to get this thing back going. I mean, and then we all grew up Miami fans. There's no way you could be a kid in Miami, especially when we grew up. We grew, I grew up growing. I grew up on Vilma and DJ Williams and Beeson and Andre Johnson, McGahee, Clint Porter, Frank Gore, Sean Taylor. So, you know, you want to be an intro role. You want to be a part of it as a kid. So when you have the opportunity, it's hard to say no, no matter what state the program is in. I mean, you must have dreamed about making it happen, right? I mean, you guys all went there for a reason, right? I mean, you went there to bring it back. And I know it didn't work out, but did you have big dreams and big visions of being that class, of everything you said, like you wanted to be, of being the ones? Definitely, definitely. I think we, we all did, man. Um, and not just guys from the Western, um, the guys from Booker T, guys from Homestead. We had, I think we might have had the number one recruiting class in the country when we came out. So, I mean, that was definitely our focus, to be the kids that brought Miami back to prominence. The biggest thing that haunted me today, man, that I, was, I wasn't able to succeed. We weren't able to succeed at that. What do you think? If you could do it again, what would you do different? Not about where you went, but if you could wave like a magic wand and say, I'd like this to end differently, what would you do different or what do you think could have been done different? Mm. Good. That's a deep for, question that's right a there. Great question. For, for us to win? Yeah, just to, to, do, to accomplish what you set out to do. <laughs> it's hard, man, because I, I, I kind of felt like I did everything. 
But uh, I mean, there's always something more you can do. I think I, sh- I should have held guys more accountable as being one of the leaders on the team. I should have been more vocal, more assertive, even more than I was. I think that's why I would have yes. did different. So when Randy got there, there was a, you know, it was a big emphasis on kind of quote unquote cleaning up the program, right? Or just, you know, your behavior off the field as much as on the field, or at least that's how it's perceived from the outside looking in. How was it on the inside? How true was that? How, how much of a priority was that? That was a big priority. And one of the guys making sure they were going to class, not getting in trouble off the field. And that's kind of hard. I mean, for any 18 or 19 year old, you know, we still young, making decisions, uh, not um, making good decisions, but being away from your parents, not being in your mom's home, you know, you have a lot of freedom. So a lot of guys get in trouble with that. So, but that was definitely one of their big emphasis, not getting in trouble, not being late to class, being held accountable, showing up to meetings on time, showing up to class on time. They made made sure that, and I think the graduation rate speaks for it, speaks for that a lot of kids. Yeah, a lot of kids, you know, especially out of my class, a lot of us uh, received our degree. So, I mean, he got his message across. How big was that to get your degree? It was huge. It was huge. My mom, she's an educator, so that was one of her biggest things. Um, she's a principal. So she always tell me, Sean, I don't care how athletic you are or how good you are on the field. Um, no one can ever take away your education. You can get hurt. You may be, not be able to play football anymore, but that piece of paper, they can't take away. So that was a big emphasis on, on adjusting my household in general to make sure that I go down there if I didn't leave early to come home with a four-year degree. How much pressure was on you guys? I mean, so, you know, you said number one class, the group of eight, everyone knew who you were. Like, when you walked into the locker room your freshman year, were you welcomed by the older guys? Like, obviously, I'm sure you were known, right? This is the group, this is the new kids, you know, the hot bunch, whatever you want to call it. So were you welcome? How were you received by the, the guys that were already there? Uh, I think well, we were welcomed. A lot of old guys were coming to our game while we was in high school. So, <laughs> So, we, so I think we were welcome pretty decent. Then, I, I mean, being in Miami, like my linebacker room, I, Dar- I had Daryl Sharpman, Glenn Cook, Pimp C, Colin McCarthy, Spencer Atkins, K-Rob. Wait, what'd you just call him? Who, Pimp C? That's Colin? Yeah, that's Colin. We call him Pimp C. That was his name when I got there. But you, he's cool, man. So that's why they call him Pimp C. And I knew Daryl Sharpman since I was a child as well. So I think that kind of helped. You know, bridge that gap, but they was they was they were very welcoming, man. They wanted to win, and I don't think they mind who we had on the field to do it. Was there pressure? Did you get you guys feel pressure? Me personally, I don't think I felt pressure just because of like how I grew up playing in pressure games all my life, from Optimist to high school, and then to come to college. You know, to have the pressure. You know, we want to win, but I don't think I ever thought about you know, oh my, we number one class, we got to do this, we got to do that. I just kind of went out there and played. And I think most of the guys did it. I don't think they felt any pressure to go out there and, and deliver on what, I mean, and go out there to win a national championship. That was our goal. But I don't think it was we felt any pressure to do that. I think because we kind of all, you know, played in big games all our life, pressure games all our life. It was just another game. Ja'Cory could not have liked the two-quarterback system with Robert Marv. He probably did. I mean, I don't think nobody liked it. I don't think Marv liked it. It's hard to get a, a feel for the game if you're coming in and out. That was like a trend in college, though. So everybody was trying to do it. But it probably wasn't the best trend. But I think, you know, everybody was doing it. So I felt like they probably felt like we had two capable quarterbacks. Both of the quarterbacks won. Uh, Mr. Florida. So we got to put both of them on the field. But I'm quite sure it's probably was tough for both of those guys. Because even me, as a freshman for the first couple games, I kind of rotated. I only played in, like, the sub package. And then I played sparingly in the base. But it's hard to get a feel for the game for anybody that's rotating. So I'm quite sure he didn't like it. I love Ja'Cory. 
right? I love his personality. I love his spirit. I think he accomplished a lot. But I also think like sometimes he was treated unfairly, like he was held to such a high standard. It was never going to happen. Have you ever, guys ever spoken about that? No, I mean, I think Ja'Cory held himself to a high standard. So the standard that somebody else put on him, I don't think it was higher than what he had on himself. You think it was ever unfair? Just how he was maybe viewed, you know, because you guys, he was viewed as a savior, right? And it just didn't work out. But I just felt like he was treated harshly at times. It depends. It's because a lot of people don't understand. It's a lot that goes into game plans and execution. So all they see is the end result. So they see Jacory throwing a pick. They just automatically think it's his fault. Sometimes guys ran the wrong route. They broke the route off too early. He had pressure. I mean, some some interceptions he was he has to be held accountable for, but also some interceptions that wasn't always his fault. And I think the fans or the people who really don't understand what goes into execution of a play just blame Jacory. I mean, Jacory's a tough-minded guy, so I think he knows that they don't know what's really going on. You know what I'm saying between the lines, the or the the execution that has to be on every level for a play to succeed, from the receiver running the right route getting at the right depth, and just being on time. What do you have, two OCs or three OCs? Yeah, I think he had a, a new OC every year. I know our freshman, he had Knicks. His, he had three OCs. His junior and sophomore junior, he had Whipple, and then he had Jeff Fish, Coach Fish. That's not easy either. It's not. It goes both ways, though. It prepares you. It, it puts you in different offensive sets. It puts you, it allows you to be able to play I mean, because we all was preparing for the NFL, so it puts you in different systems. You understand different offenses. The same for me. I tell a lot of people that as well, because I had. Yeah, you had three too, right? Didn't you have three DCs? Yeah, Bill Young, John Levitt, and D'Onofrio. All three which ran three different defenses. But it prepared me. It allowed me to be able to think on the fly, learn quickly. You know what I mean? So you have to look at it from both ways. Yeah, it hinders you because you're not used to one call. I mean, one play calling a certain amount of plays, but it also betters you. You know what I mean? Life goes curveball all the time, on the field and off the field. All right, so how tough was it earlier? Right? I think you guys lose six games your first year. I don't even how many how many games you lose in Northwestern? My freshman was free. We lost like six, two. So I probably lost like eight games, seven or eight games total. And you lose six your first year at Miami. You were in those last two, you didn't lose a game, right? At Northwestern, at the West? Right. Yeah, 30 and 0. Right. So you lose six games. How tough was that freshman year? It was tough. I'm, I wasn't accustomed to losing. But at the same time, it wasn't my team yet. You know what I mean? So as a freshman, I'm just kind of falling in line and just doing what I was told. I mean, it was something I had to get used to. <laughs> I'm mad I have to say that. It, I mean, it didn't feel well, man. From no stretch of imagination, we all came here to win. And then to lose six out the gate, uh, even though I knew it was going to be a transition. You know what I mean? They just went, well, they went the year before. I don't think it was bowl eligible. Either It might have been only a six-win or seven-win team right around there, I think. Whose team was it? You said it wasn't your team. So whose team was it when you came in? Foxy. Fox, Cook. Um, who was who was our running back? Javaris James. It was those guys' team. On the defense, I know it was Cook. He was our leader. And then on offense, I know Fox was a leader on offense. So I say it was those guys' team. When did it become your team or your guys' team? I want to say my junior year for me, because I know my sophomore year, I was hurt a lot. I mean, I was hurt for majority of the season. I think I missed like six games with a sprain MCL or maybe three. I don't remember. But I wasn't in myself. You know what I mean? So I think it became my team my junior year. That's the you guys went nine and four, right? No, my sophomore year went nine and four. That was the sophomore year, nine and four? Yeah. My junior was supposed to be the year. So what happened? So what was the, so what was the, so you're nine and four is your sophomore year. You got to think, right? Oh, this is starting to happen. Yeah. I thought, I for sure thought the light was going to switch, click on my, I thought my junior year was going to be our year. We were stacked at every position from D-line 
to linebackers to secondary, from the offensive line to receivers to running back, quarterback, we were stacked. If you'd have told me my going into my junior that we were win, what we won, seven games, eight maybe, I would have told you crazy. So that offseason, you guys thought that it, this was it. It was turning. It was our time. Yeah, I definitely thought it was our year that year. I mean, we went, we went up to Ohio State. We lose, but we turned the ball over a lot. We had a couple blown assignments on defense as far as, like, standing rush lanes. Then we bounced back and beat Pitt, played Pitt on Thursday night, ended up being Pitt. And then we go up to Clemson. We popped Clemson. Now I think the light switch is turning on. And then I can't remember I can't remember the schedule. Then I think we end up losing to Virginia. Well, that's the game I think Ja'Cory got hurt. He did. I remember he got – I think he got knocked out. He got hit pretty hard. He did. We end up losing to Virginia. That I think we come back. We just were so inconsistent, man. It pains me to say that on both sides of the ball. Now that you're looking back on it, it sounds like there's pain. I hear a little pain in your voice. Yeah, man. We were so inconsistent. We couldn't stack games. We had we wasn't stacking games. We'll play good one one Saturday, then come back and lay it the next Saturday. Play good this Saturday, and then play good for another Saturday, then come back and lay it the next the, the Saturday after that. So it was the inconsistency, man, that I think kind of hindered us a lot. I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to see. That Virginia game, and then you lost to South Florida and Notre Dame, and then it kind of all went to hell. Right. No no way we should have lost to South Florida. We should have lost to South Florida. We should have lost to Virginia. I mean, mind you, Corey got hurt. How many games we won that year? What was our record? Who did we lose to? Seven and six. You lost to Ohio State in that second game, like you said. They were number two. Then you lost to Florida State, 45-17. You know what I'm saying? Florida State. I forgot about Florida State. Came back and beat Duke and Carolina pretty handily. Then you lost a close one at UVA. Came back and beat Maryland. Beat Georgia Tech. And then you lose at home to Virginia Tech, lose at home to South Florida, and losing the bowl game to Notre Dame. Virginia Tech beat us at home my junior? Yeah. Wow. And see, that's what I'm saying. There's no way. Like, it's just inconsistency as a group, as a whole. So what do you think when Coach Golden came? I thought Coach Golden was was good. I know he kind of rubbed a lot. A lot of people didn't like him. I think because he was just different. You know, he came with the tie. And you know that Miami is not really buttoned up like that. You know what I mean? We, we were kind of loose players and... We're not Penn State. So I think that's what kind of ruffled a lot of people's feathers. But I thought his message was good. He was clear on what he wanted us to be, a physical team. I thought D'Onofrio was a great defensive coach. I think when they kind of lost some of the, the fans and some of the players, I think was trying to bring what they did at Temple to Miami for us, changing how our players look, wanting our players to put on all his weight, wanting us to transform into a 3-4 defense. So I think that kind of rubbed guys the wrong way. But I thought Coach Golden was good, man. He was he was a disciplinarian. He took no BS. He was uh, up front. And I thought, I mean, when my boy that was, they were pretty good on him. I think after, what, after I left, I can't remember that record, but I know I think Duke, June, sophomore year, they was like 8-0 until he broke his ankle was in Florida State. And then they kind of, everything kind of tumbled. But the players didn't like him because of the stuff that he was trying to instill in the program that, they didn't like some people didn't want to put on 40 pounds to go from DN to D tackle. Some people didn't want to do that. You said something that's interesting, and I didn't think we'd even go down this road. So we'll we'll just go down it briefly. Mark D'Onofrio, that is not a name that comes up, and there's a lot of good things that are said. I, I mean, I work with Mark. I know Mark. I have nothing against him. But you said he was. You just said he's a good coach. So maybe you could just expand on that because sometimes things just don't work out, and we know how things happen down here, right? Things take on a life of their own, and obviously the results weren't there that everyone wanted as well. But maybe at least give the man a moment to get it from a, a someone who played under him and from a different opinion, a man, your voice, who people respect, that maybe there's a missing element to how he was perceived. No, Coach Nauka was a really good coach. He was smart. The defense he ran was an NFL defense. A lot, a lot of stuff that he ran in Miami translated right over when I went to Pittsburgh. It was almost identical. 
what a lot of people get mixed up is that coaches can't play. Players have to play. So with coaching in football, I mean, coaching and players kind of ebb and flow. So if Coach Anafio makes a, a good call, right, he gets the looks that he wants and he calls a perfect defense. If you don't execute it and they exploit it, who is that on? That's on the players. If I'm supposed to be blitzing in the B gap and I go to the A gap, but the B gap is this, it's wide open and I'm going to set the quarterback, but I go to the A gap and I run into a player that's in the A gap and now the quarterback has a little extra second to throw the ball, of course that makes the D coordinator look bad. Like, what is he doing? What is he calling? No, you have to execute the defense. Um, I learned a lot of a lot under Coach Nafio. He's he wasn't a bad coach. People, like I said, it's people on the outside that doesn't understand that what goes into executing plays. Some okay, sometimes he's gonna make a bad call. But as players, you have to be able to bail your coach out, get the ball on the ground, don't let him score a touchdown. If you have a call to run a pirate, a pirate, I'm I'm talking football now. A pirate is when the the D tackle in the end they're stunting to the A gap and one to the B. So if you if we have a pirate on and the ball is snapped, and you don't run the pirate stunt, and the linebacker is expecting you to be there and you're not there, the ball finds that gap, and it hits, and it looked like, what is he calling? No, sometimes maybe he had made some bad calls, but I'm quite sure he probably made more good calls than he did bad. Players just didn't execute. It's it's ebb and flow. His defense was not bad. It wasn't hard to get. I mean, it might have been... For some players, it depends who you ask. Like, as far as, like, learning plays and understanding what the dynamic of the defense is, is being called for. But you just have to be able to execute. And if you're not executing, that's going to make any coach look bad. If, if you had Jimmy Johnson there and we weren't executing, they'll think Jimmy Johnson was a bad coach. You know what I mean? So it comes down to execution. He wasn't by far a bad coach. He was a, a really smart coach. Really smart. Is that why maybe you said before you should have been more vocal? I think so, yeah. With stuff like that, man, holding guys more accountable and not just leaving it up for the coaches to do it. You know what I mean? I say my two cents here and there, but should have been more vocal. Should have been coming from more of the players, not just me, other guys on the team, other leaders on the team. All right, I want to know, what's, when the first time you saw Alan Bailey, what'd you think? Why is he playing linebacker? Because he, when he first got there, he was a linebacker. So what is this doing? But when, now when I first, I thought of the Hulk. He looked just exactly like the Hulk. Big arms, big legs. The Hulk? The Hulk, yeah. I thought the Incredible Hawk when I first seen him. Big arms. Like, he looked like almost a creative player. If he was a creative player on the game, Alabama would be the model. And, you know, walking up to him, he's a cool dude, man. A teddy bear, so to, so to speak. You ever been to Sapelo Island? I have. I went to his camp. Or tw- it's either 2015 or 2016. I went to his camp. He showed us around. I don't know if I could have grew up there. It's different. But they love him there. He took us out to eat. He has a lot of uh, a lot of land, so it was cool. Did you ever have to cover Jimmy Graham in practice that one year? Yeah, I have to lock Jimmy up. <laughs> <laughs> but tell him you said that. Yeah, he wasn't the Jimmy he is now. You know, he was still learning the game, so I was able to use my football experience on him. Did you think he would have this kind of career? I didn't. Not to say that he couldn't do it, or I didn't think he had a skill set. It's just he was catching on late. You know what I mean? Coming from basketball, his senior year, and then to be able to to go on, to be one of the most prominent tight ends in the, in the NFL. Now, I, I'm not going to lie, I didn't see it coming, but I'm happy for him, man. Jimmy's a good guy. Did you play with Chantrell, too? I did. You played with all the freaks. Man, Chantrell, that's what I'm saying. Do you, you see the guys that we're naming? Chantrell, Jimmy, Allen Bailey. Lamar? Lamar, yeah, Lamar. Travis Benjamin? Leonard Hankerson. We had some guys, man. Brandon Harris? B. B Harris, Olivier Vernon. Ray Ray? Ray Ray, Demarcus Van Dyke. Oh, not DVD. Come on. (laughs) (laughs) 
I go on and on, man. We had a list. Storms Johnson when he was young, he was he was a good back man. Look at Denzel. Sean, come on, man. Now I'm now I'm upset. Yeah, man. There's no way, no way we shouldn't have at least been in BCS bowls or at the worst. What were the off seasons like? You hear all the former players talk about when the other guys would come back, and you were still thinking that time when a lot of people still trained at UM in the summer. So what was that like for you guys? When you say what the off season, off season was like, the first thing I thought was hard. With Swayze and training in the summer, it was crazy, man. We used to run like crazy and lift like crazy. But it was just surreal, man, to see Vilma sitting in there, McGahee, Andre Johnson, Beeson, DJ Williams, just guys that you, you know, you watch play and you seem like these guys are like gods in your eyes. You know what I'm saying? To see they're in there eating lunch or doing the same workout you were doing, Reggie Wayne, Santana, just, I'm just popping off the head. I mean, I'm just going off the top. But it was surreal, man, to be able to hold conversation with those guys and to see up and close what a real NFL player looked like and the work that they put in. And to see that they were doing the same work I was doing, it was it was great. It was nothing, it was nothing like those times. The walk into the weight room and you see Dre in there or you see McGahee or Velma, DJ Williams, Reggie Wayne. It was it was great. The last thing I'm going to let you go, how do you think you guys should be remembered? You, Ja'Cory, Marcus, if you could write your own little end of the book, how would you like it to be written? far as on the field, we were, I don't want to say this word, but it's just the truth. We were failures. As a group, we didn't live up to what we supposed to do. You know what I mean? We didn't change the culture. We didn't go to Miami and do what we expected that we was going to get done. So we failed. So I would say on the field, we were failures. But off the field, we got our degree. We gave everything we got on every play, every game. And that we, you know, that we we tried to uphold the standard at Miami and we, and we fell short. But as men, we transitioned from boys to men leaving Miami. All right, Sean. Anything else that we missed? Anything? I don't think we missed anything. No, nah, I think we hit everything, man. I appreciate you having me on, man. It was a great talk. We got to do this again one day. Let's do it. Now I expect to see you down at Green Tree or the IPF. I'm going to come find you. I'm going to come find you. <laughs> hey, man, by the way, let me, ask you, right, let me ask you one other thing. Have you had ever? Have you had a chance to talk with Manny? I did. I talked to Manny. Um, I went down there and, and doing camp and watched the guys practice. I can't remember the day. Like, did you talk defense with him at all? Like, I'm just kind of curious what, like, like what you walked away with your conversation with him. If you talk ball, if you talk culture, like, what did you guys talk about? We talked everything. I was I was really trying to, I was getting, trying to get down there just to shadow the team for a whole camp. But, you know, with COVID and everything, it kind of limited that. So, I, uh, I ended up going down there for a practice and watching the whole practice. And, you know, the practice looked really well. The team was flying around. They were practicing hard. And then after practice, I kind of talked to him and we, we talked about uh, how the practice went and what players were standing out, what players were making plays that I seen, or what players that was catching his eye. And then he's just, you know, extending an invitation. Anytime I want to come down, I'm more than welcome. And he appreciated me coming around and I should come around more often. Why'd you want to shadow them during camp? Just out of for yourself or are you trying to get in the coaching? To see if I wanted to coach, if it's something I see if I was something I wanted to pursue. Cause I know it's a lot of hours. It's a lot of hours. It's a lot of hours. So I just wanted to see if that was something. Can't be doing no podcast. Can't be doing no podcast if you're coaching. <laughs> I'm supposed to be in a meeting right now if I was coaching. You got that right. Do you like his scheme? Like, do you like what he runs? Like, would you like think you'd like to you'd like to play in that? Definitely. I think Manny is very aggressive and I love it. Like when we play Alabama, he didn't sit back at all. Um, he was pinning his ears and trying to get after the quarterback. So I love his uh, his aggressive style, his attacking nature. I think is it's attractive football. Uh it makes guys want to come in and, and, and play up under that. All right, buddy. It was good. It was fun. I'll see you down at the U, and uh, we'll, we'll knock this out again. All right, cool, man. Go Kane.